Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and the renewal of our world. We're so glad that you're listening. Hey, Dulles, it is so good to be with you this weekend. I wish I could be there in person with you, uh, but thank God for technology. I could be there with you virtually. And Pastor Brad and I, we got to work on uh, getting me there in person so that I can hang with you guys. I haven't done that in a while, and I would love, love to do so. Hey, if you have a Bible or uh, a phone, app, um, iPad, or whatever, we will land in Psalm 25 today. We'll get there in just a second. But first, I want to tell you the one thing that I think will make an exponential difference in your development, and it's coaching. And here is why I say that. Coaching is just one of those things that helps you move from point A to point B in a significant way. And here's why. Coaching provides for us the one thing that I think we often need more of than we think, and it's perspective. And what a good coach does is shift our perspective and push us further than we would often push ourselves. And they give us a different viewpoint than the viewpoint we can see uh, for ourselves. Now, some of you guys know a little bit about my background, know that I had a couple of cups of coffee in the NFL. So sports has been a big part of my life, my entire life. But when I'm talking about coaching, I'm not talking about like athletic coaching. I'm just talking about coaches, whether they be financial coaches, whether they be uh, business coaches, life coaches, whatever the case may be. We need these people in our lives to help us oftentimes because we need to find better ways. We need to find um, ways that are more significant than what we're trying. And, and here's the thing too, like often the things that we are doing are a lot more comfortable to us and uh, they have a lot to do with what we are used to. And so good coaches push us out of those comfort zones. Let me give an example. Uh, not too long ago, I was uh, just kind of perusing Netflix, which I don't do that often, but I was just kind of relaxing. And I came across this show uh, called How to Get Rich. And I was like, hmm, seeing a lot of this kind of stuff out here. Let me see what this is about. Um, so I, I clicked on the first episode and I began to watch this financial coach by the name of, let me get it right, it is, uh, hold on, I have my notes right here. Yes, Ramit Sethi. And Ramit is a best-selling author, and he is a financial consultant coach, and he's helping people to figure out how to hit, how to live their rich life. Now, now, here's the thing. What I really liked about Ramit's style is that he had these conversations with some were singles, some were couples, and they had lost their way financially. And what Ramit was going to help them do was find a path forward. But here's the thing with coaches, right? And here's the thing with when you reach out to someone who you think can help you get to a place that you haven't gotten to yourself. Usually it means you've tried a way and it didn't work or it's not working. So that means you gotta release your way in order to be more successful. And so these people reached out to uh, Ramit because they had lost their way. 
But have you ever had someone ask you for help or ask you for coaching and then they didn't listen to you or they continued along the path that they were going? That kind of defeats the purpose, right? And in this show, How to Get Rich, Ramit is running up against people asking him, you know, what to do. And they are unwilling, at least at first, to release their own way. And here's what I would say. Like, if we're going to experience the most out of our lives, oftentimes we've got to get out of our own way and we've got to release our own way and we've got to learn a different way. Well, here's the thing. I want to talk to you today about what that looks like in our everyday lives and what that looks like in our spiritual lives. Because the scriptures uh, and the life of Jesus really serve as, as an example for us on how to move forward in the most productive way, how to get the most um, out of our lives. Psalm 25 is an amazing song. But before I even talk about Psalm 25, I want to talk about David, um, a guy who is the author of the majority of the Psalms. David is a fascinating guy. Uh, he is probably um, the most famous king in all of the scriptures uh, outside of Jesus. And he's definitely um, Israel's, ancient Israel's uh, most famous and most successful king. Now, David, fascinating guy because he had a lot of resources. I mean, he kind of has like a, I don't want to say like rags to riches story, but like, I mean, he literally goes to nobody to like the man and he's got abilities to uh, fight. He's a warrior king. He's like the Black Panther, you know, um, but here's the thing about David, like with all of his skills, with all of his resources, with all the things that he brings to the table, you know what he constantly asks God for help. As a matter of fact, when you read through the Psalms, you read through David's writings, he is often asking God for help over and over again. I started to pick up on this pattern so much so that I did some research to see actually how many times does the word help pop up in the Psalms? And it's 58 times, almost three times more than any other place in the scripture. But Here's the thing about that that's so interesting. David, who has all of these resources, who can make his own way, like he chooses to ask God for help. And that's so contrary, I think, in the world that we live in, because the messaging that we're regularly getting is that we can make our own way. We are a make our own way society. Like you can make things happen. But in reality, when we think about that, nobody makes their own way. Even though we talk a lot about independence, Really, like we are very much dependent upon one another. And I'm going to suggest to you that we will never maximize our lives without being completely dependent on God. And we see this over and over again through several people in the scriptures um, whose lives or who contribute. Um, con I'm sorry, who um, they 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 achieve significant things because of their dependence on God. Abraham, for one. Um, I mean, he's a guy who God said, move to a foreign land. I will tell you when you get there. Now, Abraham is rich. Like he's balling. Like he's, he's, he's got bread. You know what I'm saying? Bread that translates into like money, you know, cheddar. And he's got 
uh, a caravan of people who work for him. He's got a big family. And can you imagine him having this conversation with his wife and his family and all these people he employs? Say like, hey, y'all, we moving. Uh, but yeah, I don't know where yet. We're just going to wait until God tells me where to go. He's completely dependent on God. And I think this is why Abraham's nickname is the father of faith. What I want to talk about this weekend is the key to our flourishing is not all of the things that the world offers to us, more money, a bigger stage, a bigger platform. All those things are, are, are fine and they're useful tools. It's not even leadership. The key is our followership. And I want to give you two verses that I think exemplify followership that David gives us. And this whole idea of what it means to be dependent on God. Psalm 25, 4 and 5. I'm reading from the Christian Standard uh, Version, but then I also want to read from the New King James Version because it just reads a little bit differently. So here we go. Verse 4. Make your ways known, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. The New King James Version, it reads a, a slightly differently. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day long. I want to just use for a simple subject for this message, seek God's guidance. You know, we're always seeking um, perspective. We're always seeking knowledge. We're even seeking guidance. But are we regularly seeking God's guidance? You know, I'm a parent of four kids and um, they range in age of 19 to, to five. So I've got like a college sophomore and a kindergartner. You guys <laughs> pray for me. But here is what I've come to realize being a father. I understand God the Father so much more now as a father of four kids. And I've seen the evolution of my kids and specifically how they ask and how they make their requests. My little ones who are seven and five right now, they're constantly asking me and my wife, Erica, give me this, give me this. I want this. I want that. I Can I do this? Can I do it? Which is fine. That's the stage of life that they're in. And it's okay. You know, kind of, sort of, uh, you know, it gets a little worse. And but but that's where they are in their in their development. But my older girls who are 16 and 19, they are asking different questions. Their questions are more around guidance, like help me make this decision. Help me process this. What do you think about this? They're asking for perspective. And I think when we think about our relationship with God, like sometimes we're either in that category of like, hey, we're asking God, give me this or give me that. And, or, um, or like some of us on the opposite end of the spectrum, because we gained a little bit more maturity, like we, we want perspective and we want, we see God as a guide. And, and that's the end of the spectrum that God desires for us to be. And that's the end of the spectrum that we see in David's life. David is a man of resources. He's, he has great acumen status. He has a platform, but he knows that his flourishing is tied to his dependence on God. And we see David constantly asking God, 
to provide him guidance. And he makes it a priority to seek God's guidance. You know, all of us are disciples of something or and or someone. That's actually where we get the word discipline from. Because you can't you can't exemplify discipline in any area of your life that you haven't gotten from somewhere. And so at the end of the day, David is exemplifying for us like how we need to seek God and what it means to be a disciple. And listen how he asks for guidance. Let's, let's hop back to the psalm that we just read. Really just three quick things that I want to I want to share with us. Number one, he says, show me your ways. You know, I love to learn. I love to discover. And one of my ways to do that is Instagram and um, uh, YouTube videos and books and podcasts. Like I'm, I'm constantly learning. My wife was teasing me the other day. I'm sitting down and I'm just relaxing, but I'm like watching this video about how to do something. And she's just like, man, you just like to sit and learn just like all day. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I, I enjoy it. But you know, what if we diligently sought God's guidance in the same way when we, we were hungry and we were thirsty to learn um, his ways? This is what we see in David. And, and here's the reason why we need to do that. It's because of what God said to the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he said. He told Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts. You don't say, right? Like God is constantly doing things that maybe we don't understand. Or we hear people talking about God in ways that like we don't understand. And constantly as we read the, the scriptures and we see in the scriptures, like God is moving in ways that we don't understand. Like even if we fast forward to the New Testament and we look at Jesus, who is God in the flesh, look at the people he picked to be his disciples. If you did any research on these guys, these are not guys you would be putting on your team. They wouldn't be on your starting five in basketball. They wouldn't be on your C-suite. Like they, these would not be the people that you would be picking. But Jesus picked these guys. They were the most unlikely people. And then not only does, does Jesus model for us in the New Testament, like, what it means to uh, follow God's guidance um, and to model for us how we are to live like David. But Jesus was also a sacrifice for us to pay a penalty for sin that we could not pay for ourselves. If we take our cues from Jesus and we take our cues from David, we discover that in seeking God's guidance and seeking his ways, it's not about an easier way. It's about a more excellent way. And sometimes the more excellent way is challenging in the moment, but in the end, in the long run, it produces uh, significant results in our lives. The second thing that David says, after show me your ways, he says, teach me your paths. Like this is about direction. Now, this word, um, uh, path is a is a Hebrew word that means like well-trodden path, right? And the idea here is that the the way or the path is tried, is tested, is true, and it's well-worn, meaning like it's easy to use because you can clearly like see which direction to go in. Now, 
I am not a hiker, but I've been on a few hikes over the last few years or so. Um, and uh, my friend Monica uh, taught me this about hiking trails. And I didn't know this. Like, I literally just learned this. And, and you guys who hike trails all the time, like, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's that's how it works. But she showed me how many of the paths are color-coded or there's there's a, a, a color marked on the tree or some sort of marker. It's the same marker along the same path. So you know which way that you're going. I was like, boom, it's a light bulb moment for me. And, um... When I learned this, I'm like, yeah, like, okay, this makes sense. But here's the thing, like oftentimes, because I'm a new hiker and I'm, you know, getting out and on these trails I've never been on before, I don't know where I'm going, but I know where to look for guidance. I know where to look for direction and I know what it looks like. This is the same in David's life. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows where to look to. And he knows who to call. And so literally, he's asking God, give me clear direction. You know what Jesus said about this? Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. That is the invitation to us. And then James, the brother of Jesus, he backs his brother up. And in James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And then on top of that, he says, and he will give it to you freely. I don't know about you, but I like free 99. And James is saying, if we ask for wisdom, it will be given to us freely. This is actually a discipline that we need to develop in our lives. When something happens or when we have questions or when we need perspective to, to coaching ourselves and disciplining ourselves to ask God for guidance. In our culture, we're asking Google, which it isn't a bad tool. We're asking our friends. It isn't bad to, to ask our friends. We're taking our cues from maybe media, the news, or whatever the case may be. Those are all resources. But the problem is when we prioritize those sources above the source and oftentimes we're asking god or we're praying after we've exhausted all of our other options and it should be the other round the other way around we need help learning god's paths and we need to ask him to teach us to show us you know my mother knew that it would come a point when um she wouldn't be able to show me or teach me. So she taught me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he'll make your path straight. My dad knew the same thing. He knew there would come a time where I would run up against or bump up against some stuff that I need to navigate. And he taught me Matthew 6, 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will take care of itself. So David says, God, I want you to uh, show me your ways. I want you to teach me your paths. And then he says, I want you to lead me in your truth. This is about discernment. This is a really, really big one right here. And the reason why this is a big one is because we're living in a world that is really, I think, a post-truth era. What does that mean? 
Well, the post-truth era is really about how we prioritize how we feel about things versus what is actually true. It means that our feelings and our emotions are more important than facts and reality. It means that we can easily dismiss what we don't accept and we're creating our own narratives. I think we are seeing this happen in a big way right now. It also means that we can, we can allow ourselves to operate solely on how we feel. Now, our feelings are our feelings, and I'm not, I'm not negating feelings, and I'm not saying feelings are, are bad because uh, they're not. But sometimes our feelings are not leading us in the best way forward. David is regularly lamenting throughout the Psalms. He's regularly telling God, this is wrong. I don't like this. Why did you leave me out here? You need to get these people. Like, what is going on? He's regularly pouring his heart out to God. But he also realizes that, like, how he feels, that's not the way forward. Like, that is not the actual truth. That is, that's true how he feels in the moment, but that's not actually true. And he's asking God, hey, lead me in your truth. You know? That's a very, very uncomfortable prayer. What David is asking for is discernment. What is true and what is right? And just so that we're all on the same page, let me give you the definition of discernment. It is an active process of searching, asking and seeking. All right. So it's not just asking, but it, but it's like actively like seeking to find out like what is true. And again, the problem comes into play often is our sources because we are often trying to find out what's true. We are seeking, we are asking, but what is our source or what are our sources that we are putting our trust in? And I think often uh, as my friend, uh, Jordan Rice, uh, pastor of Renaissance Church in uh, New York, he says, we are often confused because we are trying to use a cultural operating system on the hardware that God has designed. We are the hardware, but we're trying to use a cultural operating system. We're trying to use the ways and the norms of our society and things going on around us, and it's a disconnect. It doesn't work. So what do we do then? Well, we need to do what um, this guy named Paul, who wrote the uh, majority of the New Testament, we need to do what he says when he wrote a, a letter to Jesus followers in Rome. And he said to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our minds literally have to be changed. What is true like has to be programmed here. And renewing our, our mind is, is the seeking and the studying and the struggling of God uh, struggling with God's word. We don't like that struggling part, but it's really the, the, the wrestling of, man, like I'm, I'm trying to get more clarity here. And this is important because you have to test what you uh, are trying to see is true. Like it, it, like it isn't true if it isn't tested. Dr. Sarita Lyons, who's a phenomenal uh, Bible teacher, 
she talks about how we have a lot of instability in our lives. And the reason we have instability in our lives is because we're cherry pickers. Like we're cherry picking a little bit of scripture over here and a little bit of mysticism over here and a little bit of what our mother said over here, a little bit of what our friends said, a little bit of what the internet said, a little bit of what this news station says, a little bit of this. And, and we've mixed it all together. Um, and, and, and put it in a, in a form that makes us feel more comfortable, that makes us feel validated. And she says, this is why we are double-minded, meaning we have instability in our thinking. Our culture around us will blind us and make us think that this particular way is true. And everybody is going that way. But we need discernment from God to show us, no, th this is actually the way here or here. David doesn't trust himself with all of his influence, with all of the things that he has going on, with all of the, the power and authority he has, even with the platform. He doesn't trust himself. He says, God, I need you to lead me in your tree. Let me see if I can land a plane like this. Um, one of my favorite movies back in the day is uh, The Karate Kid. And uh, I don't know what version of the Karate Kid, but I'm talking about the original one um, with uh, uh, Daniel's son. And um, this was in the 80s. And here's the thing about the Karate Kid. So the uh, protagonist, um, a young kid named uh, Daniel, uh, I think Larusa, um, he is uh, he's struggling, and he's struggling because there are these guys who um, are bullying him. They they beat him up, and uh, so his mom is worried and. And uh, so he comes across uh, Mr. Miyagi. You know, Mr. Miyagi is, is this like kind of mystical figure. And, and uh, he uh, works on old cars, but he's like this karate and kung fu uh, master. And so um, Daniel's son and Mr. Miyagi, they, they form this relationship and he finds out about what's happening with, uh, with, with Daniel's son. And, and he uh, determines that he's going to teach him martial arts. Well, of course, dang son likes this. He likes the fact that like he's going to get to defend themselves. And hey, if some dudes roll up on him, like he can like kick their butt. But like he he doesn't realize that that's not the end goal for Mr. Miyagi. And so he enters into this relationship, and and, and he's looking to be taught um, martial arts uh, in the way that he thinks martial arts should be taught but mr miyagi is having him wax cars and he's having him you know do all of these things that seem to serve mr miyagi's purpose it seems to just be like one-sided to help him but he doesn't understand that mr miyagi and and what he's coaching him and what he's disciplining him on is it would be these these muscle movements that are helping him uh in the same type of movements he's going to need in karate and once he realizes that, you know what, I, I don't I don't know what I'm doing um, and I need to trust um, my teacher, they form this bond. And by the end of the movie, yes, some of you know the story. Daniel's son, he uh, gets his revenge and, and he defeats, you know, this one kid uh, in this karate, you know, tournament. And, and, and this is great. And he's excited. But Mr. Miyagi's end goal was not that. And Mr. Miyagi was more concerned about the person that Danielson was becoming. He was more uh, um, focused on the path 
that that he was going down. And the same is is true in our relationship with God. God is more concerned about who we're becoming. He's more concerned about our path than what we produce. But we'll never realize the fullness of our potential without seeking God's guidance. We'll never develop to the place that we need to be and to experience all of the fullness that God desires for us if we don't develop a discipline of seeking him like David. And the scriptures tell us that David was a man after God's own heart. And let me tell you why that's so significant. David like had some crazy stuff going on. I mean, like this dude, I mean, uh, had somebody killed, had an affair with another man's wife. And like, I mean, this is like made for lifetime movie, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but David, because he regularly sought God, God was, was pleased with David admitting when he was wrong and having enough humility to realize that without God, he was nothing. So I just want to encourage you this weekend um, to take some steps towards figuring out how you can prioritize God's guidance in your life. That's that scripture reading. There are Bible apps for that. There's there's messages and podcasts and, and Bible studies and friends and small groups and all of these things help us to prioritize asking God how to guide us in our lives. Hey, Dallas, it's been great hanging out with you. Uh, I want to pray for you and hopefully I can see you soon. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for how you are challenging us to pursue you. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things um, kind of floating out there and uh, presenting themselves as true, presenting themselves as a good path, uh, presenting themselves as the way that we should go. But help us to discern what is true. Help us to prioritize and to have a discipline of seeking you first. And God, will you download uh, freely the wisdom that we need that James says you would give to us if we ask. All these things we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you, Dallas. Hope to see you soon.